Welcome to... Hey, great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we've got another edition of The Deciding Point, our weekly breakdown of everything that happens across the Division I men's and women's college tennis world, of course. While many of us were focused on the Division I men's national indoor championships this past weekend, that does not mean there was not a full board of Division One women's action for us to break down on today's show. And as always, that's the agenda here on Tuesday. We want to break down everything that's happened over the course of the past week in the Division One women's college tennis world. We want to also talk about the first edition of the computer rankings. That's right, folks. We've officially made the switch in that ITA tennis point rankings. It will be all computer simulations. That's not the right word. Computer generated rankings moving forward. And obviously we want to recap what those rankings factor into what we ultimately see put out each and every week. We want to talk, of course, about the biggest results that impacted the rankings to date thus far as well. But before we get into any of that, I do want to take a moment quickly to thank all of you college tennis fans who have been so kind in sharing your support for what we're doing here at Crack Rackets. Obviously, it's been a busy two weeks for us, and we've been so fortunate to be able to broadcast each of the Division I men's and women's national indoor championships. What a blast we had highlighting what, in my opinion, are the best two weekends of the college tennis calendar. You just have so much top 16 action over the course of four days. If you can't get amped for that, you're probably not listening to this show here. Here today. So again, to all of you college tennis fans, players, coaches, parents who took the time to reach out to our Crack Rackets team, we are immensely grateful for that fact. I am obviously so grateful for both Perry Shine and Mike Cation, who were generous enough to steer the ship with me over the course of each weekend to super producer Daniel Westoff back in Indianapolis. He's the best in the business, the only man who can make a triple box between two matches happen, of course, to our Crack Rackets CEO, Dalton Thieneman as well. He's the reason we're able to put these broadcast together so a massive shout out to him but loving hour is over it's time to get back to what we do here each and every week recap all the action happening across the college tennis world and of course when we do that there are only so many guests we trust to help us steer the ship of course the man who joins me each and every week on this show joins me once again today a man you know best of course as the returning champion of returning champions here on our crack rackets podcast founder of the No Ad No Problem blog, our Seattle chauffeur and dear friend, John J. Parsons. Jay, I know I forgot to say No Ad No Problem blog and podcast. I thought it as I was saying it. My brain's still not fully functional, but hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. That's why we have you. How are you doing today, my friend? I'm good. I had a fabulous weekend as a remote watcher. My <laughs> my normal vehicle for watching indoors. It was good to to touch back down there and it was nice to have a day off of work yesterday, so I was able to fully embrace the final uh, yesterday. So it was a good weekend for me. Uh, happy to be back. Can I just ask a quick question? When did President's Day become a thing? Because I know it's a bank holiday, so I imagine they've been doing it for a while. But like, I swear to God, when we were kids, there was no mention of President's Day. Yeah, I don't think do the schools take it off. Certainly the colleges I- don't. Yeah, I don't think so. But like now people get days off. Maybe it's because we're professionals now that we notice it. Yeah. And I've had companies that don't give it off as well. Yeah. And so I'm I'm happy to take off, take the day off. 
Yeah, uh, I'll tell but you it was this. very nice. I'm glad you say that. I'll tell you this. Crack Rackets didn't get the day off on President's <laughs> Day. What up, Dalton Peterman? I guess he's the only president we're honoring on the day. But no, again, I was like, my, Take that my off dad. Of HR, Gruskin. Yeah. <laughs> West off. I have a complaint to file. Uh, we always show he's the HR director because he's the only one we trust to make a ruling. Uh, but yeah, with all of that in mind, again, uh, appreciate you tuning in. <laughs> West off tunes in and says rejected. Uh, well put by super producer Daniel West off. But again, with all of that in mind, we don't want to reject any of the results we saw over the past weekend. We want to talk about the most notable things that happen as we continue to figure out who goes where in the pecking order in the Division One women's college tennis world, of course, before we get into any of the action that's happened over the course of the past week, I got to give a shout out to our dear sponsors here on this show. Shout out to our friends at LS. I think I wore my LS hoodie every day of both the men's and women's Division One indoors. And honestly, the only reason I'm not wearing it today is I wanted to prove to all of you college tennis fans that I do own other clothing. I went back to the Crack Rackets pocket tee, but I miss my LS hoodie. It's the most comfortable piece of clothing I own. And again, it's fashionable. It makes me look like I have shoulders. It's got everything. And if it can make me look good, imagine what it can do for you. Learn more about everything being offered by our friends at LS by clicking on the link in the description. Again, we are so grateful for the support we get from our friends at LS. Of course, we're also immensely grateful for the continued support we get from our friends at Swing Vision. They're at the forefront of all artificial intelligence technology innovations happening within our beloved sport. And Again, not only are they going to provide automated line calling in the future, they can help you improve your game today. Download the Swing Vision app. Use it every time you hit the court. Swing Vision will record your sessions. It'll break down the film for you so you don't have to, again, to learn more about all the things offered by our friends at Swing Vision. Just click on the link in the description to this app. Use our promo code CRACK20 to get $20 off plus a free 14-day pro trial. LS Swing Vision, proud sponsors of the deciding point. All right, Jay, before we get into the women's action, I got to ask you, you're one of, when I refer to some scholars are arguing on any broadcast, I'm really referring to discussions I have with you, with Chris, (laughs) with a few others. And so I turn to the scholar here, Jay, thoughts on the men's indoors. I'm curious if you have any recaps, any reflections from the past four days. Well, first off, my biggest takeaway was impressive production value from you and the whole CR crew. So shout out to Westoff for that. It was very palpable having sat on many of those live streams over the years, just the amount of people, right, that were actively watching, actively chiming in, people from around the globe. That was really awesome to see. It was the the largest kind of co-watching experience I think I've had in college tennis. I know that that's been something that you all have worked towards for so long and building that community. I felt that that was, you know, really clear and and present during the weekend. So a huge credit to you all. I also feel like the women got a little bit of the short end of the stick. I felt like you were on the P's and Q's a little bit more uh, this weekend, you know, brought out the big guns like a Tim Russell, did a little bit more of the player interviews. So uh, I was a little jealous for the women in that regard. But Overall, was really happy to see uh, just how well that did. And it was great that we had so many great matches to feature on the weekend. My big takeaway, I have a few, but my big takeaway is that while, you know, rankings came out this week, little do people know there are actually only five top 10 men's teams in the country. There's no six. There's no seven. <laughs> there are only five teams. And 
that was my big takeaway, right? Those were kind of the top five, you know, some of the top five seeded teams. You know, you have TCU, Texas, Ohio State, Michigan, and Kentucky. Those five, I think, have broken away from the pack. Um, so that was my big takeaway. And then the other one was, look, TCU wins another title here back to back, a huge milestone for that program. You, you just see how long it takes for these programs to reach the pinnacle of the sport. You know, it takes a community like Fort Worth to rally around that program, you know, Coach Roditi to be there every day building that program from the ground up. It takes a while for these coaches to actually reach these pinnacles. You saw it last year with Coach Cohen at Oklahoma. They didn't get over the, the finish line there, but to just be in those finals. So credit to the TCU program. I think they got a little bit of the 2021 Texas women NCAA draw where like all of the other like peak contenders in that year of North Carolina, Pepperdine, UCLA, all on the other side of the draw. I think TCU was certainly significantly advantaged by not having to go through a gauntlet of Ohio State, Michigan, Texas to get to that final. And I think, unfortunately, you know, indoors, despite being indoors and in theory less physically taxing it's the only day that you play four days the only tournament you play four days in a row and i think that really took a toll on that texas team in that final but looking forward to seeing those two teams compete again hopefully outdoors in you know about two weeks time all right i'm gonna go point by point because there's a lot of meat on that bone there that as always makes you what i'm here to do on this show yeah you're the best jay you know that um point a is a credit to Brad Dancer and the Illinois Athletic Department. They are on top of every little detail. And the only thing we had to do, and this is not to diminish the team at Washington, it's on me because I wasn't as prepared for week one as I was for week two. But literally, you know, again, all we had to do was send a Zoom link. They had the booth set up. They had the laptop set up. They were ready to transition. And, you know, credit to Mike, who said, hey, I'll pop out of the way. Let's just do the interviews up here because it's always a little bit more fun when you're in person and next to someone it's a testament to Brad Dancer, who really does do more to push the fabric of college tennis in terms of broadcasting, in terms of all these different things moving forward that, you know, he does as much as anyone else out there. And so I would be remiss if I did not give a specific shout out to he and the entire athletic department team. They've always been on top of it. It's why they host this event so frequently. That's why they are who they are from Craig Tiley all the way through. This program's been humming for a couple of decades now. So shout out to them. Point number two. You mentioned the Inner Circle Five. Chris and I are going to talk about it at length tomorrow. The only thing I'd posit to you, and I'm going to shut up and let you respond to this, USC, if Lerner Tien becomes eligible. I think they have an asterisk next to them now because they're very competitive. And if you add a piece like that, I could see it becoming a group of six very quickly. Is that fair? No. USC has more issues than just getting Lerner Tien eligible. They were 0-3 in doubles on the weekend. Okay. Tien slotting in there doesn't fix that problem solely. Uh, Stefan Dostinich has been a roller coaster this academic season, struggled in the fall, losing a match that he just beat in Ethan Quinn. I think they have issues up and down that lineup. Uh, you he know, did Ryan beat Colby Ethan a couple at, weeks ago at, at, at uh, in right. Orlando. So to, to yeah. just it's a little up and down, fair. Lose it. it's, it's up and down, right? And like, Great win over Ryan, Draxel and Cernok. I, I was there for both. I mean, again, I thought he had like I weekend. said. Sorry. Up Carry and on. down. Like yeah. I said, up <laughs> and down. It's a merry-go-round there. And I mean, Ryan Colby is someone that I would have Very a hard fair. time putting a lot of trust 
thrust into. So Tian getting eligible would be great. But look, it's February 21st, right? If he's having the same sort of challenges that we saw with JPJ, we saw with Schneider, we saw with, um, I mean, those are the two big ones this year, uh, Reese Brantmeyer, right? Those took months. All of those players were here in the fall. They were working through those issues the entire fall. So if this is a five-month issue, he won't be eligible this semester. Okay. Fair point. Again, this is why I wanted to offer you the chance to respond there. To to point number three, that's such a good comparison. TCU at this national endorse the 2021 Texas uh, team because you're absolutely right. Like uh, a Texas women's team. I mean, the Michigan Texas, Ohio State Texas match was so good. The Michigan Texas match was so good. And then just all, you know, again, if Texas could have done it a third straight day, you tip your cap to them. You say that team is special. And by the way, I yelled at Chris about it on the podcast. I'm yelling at you, too. You dissuaded me from pursuing my passion for Texas men's tennis in the (laughs) offseason podcasts, perhaps more than I should have allowed. But I, I the only the only thing I would say is I test wise, even in those highlight real matches. TCU's best from an eye perspective did so clearly look better than everyone else's. It's just the depth that they have everywhere. And, you know, again, I mentioned this on the broadcast. It feels like they're injury proof. And I'll expand on that more tomorrow. But it's like if they lost a Fomba or a Fernley, not that you would ever wish that upon them, but it's like you slide everyone else up a spot. Everyone's pretty ready to play a spot higher in the lineup. And I think that's what makes this TCU team particularly dangerous. But again, We'll save the full expanded men's talk for tomorrow. Chris Helios and I are going to recap the final, then do what Jay and I did last week, which is offer up a take on every team that competed throughout the course of the action in Chicago. But enough on the D1 men, Jay, unless you have any final thoughts, I'm ready to move on to the D1 women. So let's do that now. And again, it wasn't the busiest week of action. This will probably be one of our shorter shows from a recapping perspective of the year, but there were still a few nuggets that we want to touch on here today. And a massive shout out to John J. Parsons, who put together tonight's outline. I did not have the most time in the world to follow everything live. Jay did do that. I appreciate it. Let's start by talking about some teams who carried over some momentum from the indoors. There were three teams you pointed to specifically. Georgia, Michigan, Iowa State, each of them competed this weekend. You had Georgia with the 4-1 win over Georgia Tech. Let's start there. What was particularly impressive about that to you? Well, I think just rebounding, you know, outdoors, keeping the momentum outdoors. I think particularly Mel Riasco, who struggled at indoors, gets a good win there at the number three position outdoors. Uh, you know, they didn't have their full slate of um, uh, of uh, they they didn't have Anya Hertel in the lineup. And we still didn't see Lapata, which was a surprise to me. I thought if they were going to be one player down, we would see Lapata slot in there. So she maybe is struggling with an injury. Um, but look, I mean, they'll circle that match against Georgia Tech uh, every year on the calendar, you know, in-state rivalry. Uh, and I thought it was a pretty dominant showing from Georgia. Liam, I got pushed to three sets by Carol Lee. I think that's just a reminder of how good Carol Lee is. She quietly had one of the better falls we saw in all of college tennis. But like, by the way, I don't know if we ever discussed this. Vidmanova won the mop, right? Like she ended up being the most outstanding player, Jay. And shout out to us. I feel like we manifested that. Like we really drove <laughs> that hype bandwagon as media and deservedly so. And again, she comes out straight set win over Bill Chev and like, 
she is she is tier one good. Like she yeah. might, and I, I hope she gets into the NCAA tournament because I think she could absolutely win it this season. You're absolutely right. Big bounce back from Riasco. I thought both Gigi, Jeremina Grant, Minor, and I'm so happy we can just call her Gigi moving forward. That's a great. Yeah, you got permission. Yeah, it's a great development for this show. Narundor and getting action in singles. Kowalski losing to Jane. Jane's a good player. That's not a bad loss. It's just that the. The, the it's a continued trend, I suppose, that we're seeing from the end of the national indoors. And I do wonder if the best version of this team has Kowalski at the five spot, the six spot. And that's not to diminish her. That's to speak to how successful and talented her teammates are. But like, you're right. Like this Georgia team is that good. And after the rough start, particularly that Ohio State match, should we just throw it out now? Like, can we I, do we I, is it scroll? I the threw lead? it out. A few weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's going to, it's certainly benefiting Ohio State, but uh, to the rest of us, we've thrown it out. Okay. Then we're going to throw it out moving forward. I thought that was a good win for Georgia, though, as well. Georgia Tech, they going to finish top 25? I mean, they could just because there are so many opportunities in the ACC to get good wins, but right now they're on the outside looking in. Perfectly put. All right, let's move on to another team who carried over success. The Michigan Wolverines, 5-2 winners over Princeton this weekend. What impressed you most about Michigan's performance? Well, I think what impressed me was that the only, you know, they got the win without wins at one and two. We had talked about indoors about, you know, Jaden Brown and Kari Miller being so successful at the one and two spots. You know, they swept you know, uh, everywhere else, but those uh, one and two positions. So, you know, the, the depth is very real for this Michigan team, and that's where they had to flex their muscle uh, against Pris- against Princeton. Absolutely. Now, if you're a Wolverine fan, you're happy to see Lily Jones back in the lineup healthy. Yep. She gets a straight set win. Galamesa Chorito, she gets a one and one win at that number five spot. Michigan doubles is also real. They found two really good pairings. I mean, Kari and Jaden are top 10 good, and they get another win here today. Uh, I think Julia and Lily, Julia Fliegner, Lily Jones, they've been very solid at that number two spot. And then right now it's Serdan and someone at the number three. And even then, whoever that someone is, they seem to find their way to success. But to your point, they get wins at three, four, five, and six. Like Freeman beats Jaden Brown three and one at the number one spot. Even Kari Miller, it was a long match, a long second set as Kari is prone to doing, but Kari lost that match in straight set. And hey, you feel like if you can beat Michigan at one and two on any given day, that's how you're going to beat them. You know, now you got a shot at them and yet they get over the finish line. Other side of things. Is Princeton the most compelling team in college tennis? Like, I just feel like every time, Jay, from or not compelling, Biggest question mark. It's just like the I know they can be good, and yet this team for just like 15 months consecutively can just not secure the big win. They're gonna win the Ivy Leagues, and then like they could go into the NCAA tournament like 14 and 12. Well, I don't know if they will win the Ivy League, right? They didn't win the sure. ECAC, right? Which is essentially the Ivy League tournament. Brown won that. So I I don't know what to make of this Princeton team. On paper, they should not be as solid as they were last year. And this time last year, they were on, you know, some six-match losing streak, just going around the country, losing at different venues. Sure. <laughs> I mean, they're still going to bring in a lot of talent, right? They still have a strong recruiting class. But, you know, it's more about, you know, the pipeline of these Ivies to, you know, the ACC schools, the SEC schools. You know, we'll have to see. Um, but yeah, I don't have high hopes for Princeton right now. 
All right, that's fair. All right, let's move on then to our next team on this list. That's Iowa State. Iowa State, a big win over Old Dominion, 4-1. And, you know, again, for this Iowa State team, they get another doubles point. Really good win from Nacklo and Pete Purim at the number one spot over a team. We got to see kickoff weekend. I think Johnson and Sassana Sky are really good for Old Dominion. Obviously, Sassana Sky was a top 10 doubles player in the country last season. They also get a win at the number three spot. Kova, uh, Cabezas continue to have success. And, you know, again, it's interesting for this Iowa State team because Nacklo hasn't had the greatest season at one. She's playing 500 ball, but Cabezas gets a win at five. Oh, you know, Obi Kajirder uh, continues to thrive at the number two spot. And then, you know, Kadlachova is the uh, Kadlachova, excuse me, is the revelation. Another 0-0 victory for the number four singles player for Iowa State. Like, is she in the MVP conversation right now, Jay? Is she that most valuable point in college tennis? I mean, yeah, it's just what, 24 straight games, probably more because who knows That's what crazy. she reeled off the day before uh, yeah. in indoors, right? No, so I definitely... heard a rumor she got blitzed in practice two and two the other day. No, I'm just kidding. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, like short of that. I mean, like she is on the top five ballot. Yeah, absolutely. Particularly if she stays at this four position. Now, I think there's an argument that, you know, she could be playing three and they think there could be a lot of mixing and matching there at that one through four position to your point about Naklo struggling at one. But look, I mean, that's you don't see that very often once, let alone twice, particularly against an old Dominion team who, despite, you know, not making indoors this year after making it last year for the first time in program history, is still reeling off a really solid campaign. We'll get to this later, but they've now reached 16 in the ITA rankings as the highest uh, ranking in program history. They've gotten wins over FSU, Columbia, Wake. Like this is a solid uh, old Dominion team uh, to win 0 and 0 at the four position. It just continues to astound. Really well said. And, you know, again, this team just has depth. They really do. And, you know, by the way, this match was at old Dominion, which right. I'm not saying it's the most rowdy environment, but it's not the easiest environment to play in either. And Iowa State goes on the road. They get the job done. They they look the part of top 10 team in this 4-1 win. Again, straight sets at the two, uh, four, and five positions. You get two, four, five in straights. You take dubs. That's what top 10 teams do. So I agree with you. I think that's a really good win for Iowa State. Also, to your point, like, Old Dominion's solid. I still think they're a top 25 team-ish this year. I'm not like, yeah. I do. I think they're going to be top 16. I don't think there's enough meat on the bone. I think there are too many good schools elsewhere, but I would not want them in my region. Like, I think that's one of the tougher first, you know, second round matches you could have right now. Yeah, no. And that's a, the point I was looking to make, yeah. right? I mean, this is, they go on the road, which this Iowa state team is going to have to do often, just given the limited indoor facilities they have there. And that's going to make them extremely battle tested. So they continue to get this experience, right. That they're looking that they will need if they want to make a deep NCAA push. Very well said. Well, folks, those were the teams that carried momentum over from the national indoors. Let's talk about a couple of teams now who bounced back from tough indoors. We'll start with number nine, Vanderbilt. They went 0-3 at the national indoors. And after beating, yes, a Diana Schneiderless NC State, but going to NC State, beating them 4-3 in the kickoff, that was obviously one of the most impressive wins we saw throughout the course of the kickoff weekend. It propelled them into the top 10 they go 0-3 kickoff weekend. What do they do to bounce back? 4-1 win over UCF. What did you see from Vandy this weekend? Well, look, it wasn't straightforward, right? They were really pushed by this UCF team. 
But I mean, another person in that MVP conversation, if Kadla Chukova is four, Anessa Lee Vanderbilt, she yeah. went three and no at indoors. She might not have finished, but she was going to win all her matches. She gets another 0-0 victory here uh, against UCF. So really impressive performance for her. I think Vanderbilt, it'd be good for them to have Sonia McAvey back uh, in the lineup. You know, one of their star freshmen. I think they're just struggling right now with that momentum, but this should go a long way. And this was, you know, this was at Vanderbilt, was at home. So they should feel good about getting the victory, getting back on the right path before they start uh, what will be an SEC gauntlet. Yeah, I, I don't think this Vanderbilt team's ever going to blow anyone out. That's just not right. their TNA. They like things to get funky. And look, again, I'm I'm really a big fan of Bridget Stammel, their number three singles player, the freshman who gets a three-set win in this matchup against UCF. I think she has weapons. I think she moves well. I, I think she puts a lot of balls in play also. I, just, I really liked what I saw from her at the indoors. Um, to your point, it's just they have – they they have veterans everywhere. And like I liked what I saw from Celia Belmore at the number one spot. I don't think she's gonna I don't think she'll play, you know, two thirds ball, but I think she should go at least five hundred, if not a little better at that one spot. I think Holly Staff exactly the same at two. And then again, the where this Vanderbilt team wins is their depth. It feels like all six of their players, you could throw a dart on the board, they could all really play in any singles position and it could be justified on any given day. They epitomize the depth. We see in college tennis this season, do they have the top end talent to push top eight and, you know, get in that inner circle conversation? Not right now. I guess jury's still out if someone makes a big leap or, you know, someone starts clicking in a way they haven't quite yet. But look, this is a dangerous UCF team. Like, again, Coach Kenyeko's squad, they're they're similar. They're very deep. And, you know, again, that Sharma's playing at the number six spot to me is crazy because, you know, all the success she's had over the past few seasons. Yeah, uh, this was a good win. It was, it, you're right. It was a complicated win, uh, but I thought it was a really good win for Vanderbilt. Yeah, any any UCF thoughts? Well, I think in some ways they might have more top end talent than Vanderbilt, right? With, you know, Marie Mattel, who's been really solid this year to start the year. She gets the win over Belmore. Um, and, and they have the depth. I feel like on the outside corners, UCF is going to be tough to beat. Yeah, 4-2 win this week over FIU as well for UCF. Let's move over to another team that struggled at the National Indoor relative to their form coming in. That, of course, is the Ohio State Buckeyes. Ohio State bouncing back, though, this past weekend. The Buckeyes get a 5-2 win over a very frisky Arizona State team. What impressed you most, Jay? Well, (laughs) uh, you know, I don't know what impressed me most about Ohio State. It's a good win. Um, you know, I think it's tough when you play at Columbus. I mean, Arizona State, if any team is not going to be familiar with those circumstances, it's going to be Arizona State. Uh, So I was actually I was impressed with Arizona State, right? I mean, they get the wins at three and four. You mentioned this is a very experienced team, had a lot of success last year in their run to kind of the the Pac-12 final there. So I thought that they uh, acquitted themselves quite well against Ohio State. And I thought it was important for Ohio State to get back and kind of into the winner's circle after a tough indoors. Uh, It's been a little volatile these past few weeks for them. And it really just marks the beginning of what is a very tough slate of non-conference matches for Ohio State. So I give major credit to any coach who signs up to go to Columbus, right? So Arizona State doing that. And then the flip side for Ohio State, scheduling these teams to come and then also eventually going on the road as well. Yeah, I mean, look, Boulay is not playing her best tennis yet. Uh, that's very clear for this Ohio State team. But like Brisniak is real 
at that number five spot. She gets another win. I think they have options at six, whether it's Wilson, whether it's Marzal. They still have to figure that out. I feel pretty good about that position, uh, certainly to get this team in that top eight race. And then look, like Ratliff Contos, good day at the office for each of them. They each get straight set victories. That's a that's a top two that should go one and one in every match. That yeah, I was just play. about to like, say, you feel like yeah. you're good about splitting. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's a one and one, which is really all you can ask for from the top two spots. Is this team unequivocally top five the way I thought they were going into the national indoors? Probably not. Are they still in the top eight race and very much in a pole position to get over that finish line, particularly with a rising Wisconsin team in the rankings? I think the answer to that question is yes, Jay. And isn't that ultimately the goal of the non-conference section is to get enough wins to put yourself in a top eight position? That has been probably one of the marquee storylines of this entire season is just sure. that Ohio State and Michigan and throw Wisconsin into the mix said, look, I am not relying on these other teams to get better and improve their ranking. I'm going to go out and get these wins myself. And we'll talk about this when we discuss the rankings, but Ohio State and Michigan, they're set. You know, yeah. they are in a very, they position themselves very well, even though Ohio State didn't get the two wins they were probably looking for at indoors, three wins maybe. Um, but yeah, it is exactly what they're looking to do. And you look at that when you look at Coach Schaub at Ohio State's non-conference schedule, right? It's a it's a gauntlet. Well, first of all, you bite your tongue right now. Don't you say they're set? It's February 21st. I'm not ready to say anything set. Um, knock on wood or whatever it is that you do. But here would be my, like, to your point, the tentacles are spread. Like now you yeah. got a Pac-12 win. You know, you got your big 12 wins earlier in the season. You got your SEC wins with Georgia. You got your ACC wins with Virginia. You're absolutely right, Jay. The biggest winner of the non-conference schedule right now. And I, again, I'm not saying that the national champion is going to come out of this conference, but like the Big Ten's back in the mix and they just haven't been the past two years. And uh, you're absolutely right. It's a credit to these coaches going out and saying we're scheduling aggressively. We're going to go earn it uh, here these first two months. Speaking of aggressive scheduling, let's get back to NC State. Uh, let's go to that ACC now. Talk about the Wolfpack. Obviously, they were the one team we didn't get to see at the National Indoors in Seattle. They now have Diana Schneider on the roster. And to quote you, they are silently making waves. 4-0 win over, Tex uh, over Cal. 7-0 win over Wake Forest. Are they Tier 1 yet in your mind, Jay? I mean, I think they were Tier 1 once they got Schneider back. I think it's challenging when they don't play indoors because it's tough to reward a team that doesn't play indoors, even though the computer rankings like to. But, I mean, what we didn't talk about while we were at indoors is that the hosts that did not make indoors, three of those four in Cal, in Miami, and in NC State, decided, hey, let's meet up in Miami. Let's play a few matches. And so uh, NC State did that. They played Cal. I mean, dispatched of Cal quite easily. And same thing with Wake Forest, a 7-0 win. I think the biggest takeaway for me in these matches is that Diana Schneider is playing, right? Mm -hmm. She is playing in the match against Cal. She's playing against Wake Forest. It's not like she's totally a absent. Gun. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And only coming in for the North Carolina match. So, I, look, I, I like to see that. As a fan of college tennis, it's great to see her competing in these dual matches. The big question mark right now for NC State is not Schneider. It's health. 
And we had seen Nell Miller, who had been, you know, a massive contributor for them in doubles, you know, out of the lineup to start the season. She's now back. But as she comes back, Amelia Rejecki is out of the lineup. So it's, you know, a lot of pieces sliding in and out of that lineup. They don't seem to be 100% healthy. So that's the one to watch for NC State. But, you know, they are... um you know, these wins that they're racking up as we're focused on indoors and things like that will uh, pay off down the line. You think Simon sent that text out to these coaches the day of the loss to Vanderbilt or the next day? <laughs> Probably the next day, but I want to know where was coach Chris Young? <laughs> he didn't get the text. That maybe he doesn't have the number. Do we have to put the two of them in contact? Um, yeah. yeah, no, that's actually hilarious. That's I mean, it's everyone you. but Oklahoma State. <laughs> that's hilarious. Um, yeah, I think that text was sent the night of. I think it was like, hey, our weekend's free, your weekend's free. Let's book the Florida flights now. Like, but let's how did, yeah, I wonder how, why not NC State? How, how did Miami get the coup of hosting both? Warm. Yeah, that would okay, be, I mean, they're like, yeah. hey, counter, you want to go to Miami? Yeah, yeah. let's sure. do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Girls, we're going to Miami. No, <laughs> coach, don't make us do it. Um, Like, yeah, I think that's uh, that's probably how. But yeah, I'm telling you, that text was sent three hours after the loss. He he ate a meal. He showered. He sent the text. If I had to guess, knowing Simon Earnshaw the way. So that maybe like 1230 a.m. So we're, we'll yeah. split the middle. <laughs> <laughs> Technically day after. Same same period of consciousness. Might have been, yes, technically the next day on the calendar. Um, All right. That's your NC State note on those other matches. I mean, Cal, I don't think, Cal, I don't know if they're going to be top 16 this year. I just, they're a little thin, Jay. There's zero chance they're top 16. All right. We can move on then. Yeah. Sarah Hamner makes her return for South Carolina. Helps guide them to a 4-3 victory over Wake Forest. What, what You mentioned this. Why? Well, I mean, Sarah Hamner, former number two player in the country, came into this weekend, number six player in the country, and she's been out with injury, right? She's been out with injury since November. This South Carolina team is kind of in that, you know, upper middle of the pack tier of the SEC. You can see them get some good scalps, but that wouldn't happen, right, if they don't have Sarah Hamner back in the lineup. So this was her first return to singles action. You know, look, one of the top singles players in the country. Good to see her back and healthy when these players are out, when they're in boots. You just never know how long that will be. So it's good to see her back in the uh, back in action and, and healthy. Yeah, tough three-set loss, obviously, for her on the day against Bryland, sure. but Good to see her back to your point. Absolutely. And hey, South Carolina still grinds out the 4-3 win. Always nice to have that presence push everyone down in the lineup. Yeah, I don't think South Carolina is going to be top 16 this year, but they can absolutely when you're top two are Ackley and Hamner and some of the depth they have elsewhere, you can go on. You can beat anyone in any given day and take those top two positions. So shout out to South Carolina. Obviously, tough weekend for Wake Forest. You had three other honorable mentions. You had Tennessee over UCF 4-3, Wisconsin over Notre Dame 5-2. That's a good win. Another one for the Badgers. Then SMU 4-3 over Arkansas. Talk me through each of these three victories. Well, the Tennessee UCF match was just super fun. I mean, it you know, at number five, you know, what was it? UCF was down 3-2. Uh, Sophia Biolay wins the third set tiebreak, like 11-9 to tie it up at 3-all. Ultimately, Molinero of Tennessee gets the win 7-5 for the clinch. So these were two you know, fairly evenly matched teams uh, playing just a, a barn burner of a match. So it's definitely worth an honorable mention. And by the way, as we look at the rankings later in the show, 
you know, big rankings implications for this win for Tennessee. So that was one of the reasons why I called this out as honorable mention. And then, I mean, is it a deciding point if we don't make a reference to Wisconsin yeah. and the <laughs> uh, the creator of the bandwagon in Alex Gruskin? But look, we these are two teams, I would say, that we've circled early in the season who are, you know, probably better than their initial ranking indicated, right? In Wisconsin and Notre Dame, Notre Dame getting that win over USC in the Georgia kickoff weekend. And so for Wisconsin to do this, one at Notre Dame to lose doubles and then sweep one through five in singles, I thought was a really impressive performance from Wisconsin and why I thought it deserved honorable mention. You know, very well said. Um, to the Tennessee point, I mean, anytime it comes down to seven, six in the third, and you've got three, three setters. And again, uh, to the Tennessee UCF match, absolutely deserve the honorable mention. Yeah, look, again, I think in the computer rankings right now, Wisconsin's like 11 coming off of that win at Notre Dame. I mean, are you kidding? The Big Ten has three top 11 teams. Like in no world that I see that going to be the case in the first edition of the computer rankings. And then, yeah, like, I think what they're doing at SMU, I think that's a program on the rise. You see all yep. the pro events coming through there. The Dallas complex is gorgeous. Like, would it shock you if SMU is top 20? Well, <laughs> let's get reckless with our speculation, Jay. What happens first? SMU's top 25 or Grant Chen gets another job? Uh, can Grant Chen get another job if SMU doesn't become top 25? I mean, have you seen the pro events? I like, <laughs> I yeah, look again. It's, I mean, well, it comes down to what your school wants from your program. Like, you're absolutely right. Like, there's gonna be a lot of schools that look at that and go, like, that's well, a chicken and egg conundrum, Jay. You that's know, a like, very good call. Like, a lot of these schools don't want these pro events. Like, sure. there are schools that just don't have the funds to put on these, you know, events. Now, would Grant Chen go to those schools? No. Uh, but look, I think there are a lot of schools that would say, like, that's all great, but could you do that where we're located or things like that? And ultimately, like if I'm an AD, would I rather have a pro event or a conference title? I want the conference title. It's true. I mean, it's a fascinating, fascinating test case. That's a conversation for us to have on a different time, Jay. We'll save that for another one. But no, just I do think those SMU programs, though, are on the rise, Jay. I, I mean, again, you can just tell with uh, there's a buzz around the action. And Agreed. that's yeah, that's the highest compliment we can offer. But those are the biggest matches from the course of the past week. Again, it's 638 on the clock, Jay. This really might be one of our shorter episodes. Let's move now and look ahead, because I will say as you know, it was a tentative weekend of action on the women's side last weekend. Will things get rocking? and rolling once again this week. And I mean, top 10 battles across the board. You've got the start of ACC play and welcome back, Virginia. You get to host the North Carolina swing, UNC Duke, all within one weekend, Friday, Sunday. I, I'm i not sure if we have that UNC, that Duke-Virginia match on Sunday or if it's Big Ten we're starting. I know we start our broadcast here this weekend. I think it's Big Ten that starts on Sunday, but I mean, come on now. That's top 10 battles. You And if it is Big Ten that we have, I know, obviously, you've got Ohio State facing NC State on Wednesday. And then maybe the biggest match of the year for Texas A&M on their calendar in the sense of, look, like this is not a team that has a ton of non-conference juice. Obviously, they got 
good wins at the national indoors, but not the highest ranked wins. We all know how good they are from a quality standpoint. Again, quantitatively, they need a boost. They kind of, yes, they'll have the SEC play to work through, but like if they beat Ohio State, now they're really rolling towards consolidating and solidifying their top eight spot. They've got them at Lake Nona this week. Jay, you're making a face, which makes me scared. Uh, Again, I I defer to you. Which of these matches intrigue you the most? Well, Texas A&M already did beat Ohio State. They crushed Ohio State at indoors. Which is why, though, they get it twice. It's like you get two of those. Well, I think this one's going to be extra spicy because coming out of indoors, right, the team that people were talking about was not Ohio State. Right. Mm -hmm. It was Iowa State, we said, was the story. But look, everyone came away thinking Texas A&M is on the level. Mm -hmm. And guess who lost their number two ranking this week? It's Texas A&M. Right. They, you know, tumble down to number seven. Guess who was at number two? Ohio State. So I think Texas A&M is going to relish this opportunity. And if we saw that destruction indoors, it can only get worse outside (laughs) for Ohio State. So this, I think, is going to be a pretty... Uh, ugly match and yeah you're right at that point they'll have two wins over ohio state and look they've got a lot of uh potential on that sec schedule this is not going to be last year where you're going well who did they beat even if they run the table through the sec george is a top 10 team uh, auburn right now is a top 10 team florida is a top 16 team Vandy's there are a lot a top of op- 16 team right exactly now. yeah there are a lot of options for this texas a&m team but kind of sees really good Yep, they're top 16 team right now. I do love this scheduling, though, for Texas A&M. It's been a knock against them for a few years now that they traditionally don't schedule tough out-of-conference matches. And when the SEC takes a dip, that hurts. Uh, And so I like that they're at least scheduling one or two. I'd love to see more, uh, but it starts with Ohio State. And I love that they're scheduling it at at Lake Nona, right? Hey, we're planning on being here for the quarterfinals, so let's get some prep in. You already mentioned Ohio State's in a prime position. They've gotten plenty of good wins over the course of the first two months. But like if they get one this weekend, if they can just go one and one, and obviously that's not the goal for this Ohio State team, because with all the veterans they have, they believe they are national championship contenders. But if they go one and one this weekend, I mean, yeah, pack the bags, start the plane like, oh, I guess don't pack the bags nor stop start the plane. You're in Columbus for the first three weekends of the NCAA tournament should you win. Yeah, particularly that NC State match because it's it it's at home, right? We yeah. know how challenging it is for players to go to Columbus, play on those indoor courts. NC State potentially some health issues. That Vandy win over NC State is going to buoy Vandy for the rest of the season. If Ohio State also gets the scalp, I mean, there's no knocking them out of that position. Yeah, very very well said. Again, to critical matches for the Buckeyes, we are certainly excited uh, to watch this weekend, and then. UNC at UVA, Duke at UVA. I think I'm more intrigued about the Duke matchup. I know how good North Carolina is. We mm-hmm. all know how good North Carolina is. And yeah, again, if they don't flex their muscles, then it does become extraordinarily notable. But Duke was so far away from the best version of themselves in February We ta- uh, at the National Indoors. Excuse me. We talked about it last week. I want to see them go on the road and beat UVA. I want to see them go win this match because I think UVA – is like that tweener team. They're not quite tier one, but they're definitely a really good tier two um, if they're not tier one. I think Duke right now is kind of in that vomit zone as well. On paper, they can absolutely be tier one. They didn't always look like it at the national indoors. I think that matches the more fascinating of the two. What do you expect to unfold in those ACC kickoffs? 
Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. I think North Carolina, Virginia is always a fun match just because those two programs know each other very well. You have coach Sarah O'Leary of Virginia, former North Carolina All-American. They know each other quite well. You know, Duke and Virginia, I think this could be the closer match on the weekend. Um, and it'll be interesting to see two weeks after indoors, kind of how has Duke rebounded? It'll be the first time we see them in action. Very well said. Then we have Pepperdine, who we've seen play what? four matches or two to five matches here this Three and season. a half yeah, Three exactly. point two five. Yeah. yeah exactly pepperdine this weekend at florida versus uh at ucf as well as you called it the sunshine double uh of course what do you want to see most from the waves well we need to see them flex their muscles right they were yeah. really underwhelming on that last day where they lost to auburn it felt like they didn't want to be there um so look we're going to be outside you're going to be in the sun you're going to take on two florida teams uh you know, they need to go out there and really win these matches if they want to even have a shot, you know, at being a top eight, eight seed. It starts this weekend. Yeah, very well the, said. In the that. other thing I'll say is I think both the Pepperdine versus UCF match and Ohio State, Texas A&M are scheduled for Sunday at Lake Nona. That's what you love to see. I Let's think that's, that's those- fun. Yeah, and I think if that Ohio State match is at Lake Nona, then we will have it for you. We will have mm-hmm. Ohio State, Texas A&M on our Crack Records broadcast. I defer to Westoff, who will defer to Dalton on the rights issues there. I'm sure Coach Kenyeko will have no problems with us using that on the UCF feed. Again, that's something we will have for you more firmly, as we know our Big Ten schedule on Sunday. But, like, we might have that match for you all. Holy crap. West off Sunday just got awesome. I just want you to know Sunday just got very, very good for us. So, uh, yeah, shout out to that matchup. And then I love this framing, and I'd give you the middle finger, but we're live. The last two NCAA champions face off in Austin this weekend. Stanford traveling to Texas. No lies detected. No lies detected, Jay. Except for the fact that the 2020 asterisk champions were UNC. So lie detected. <laughs> Nevertheless, Stanford, had, I stuck it in 45 minute mark. Shout out to me. Um, Stanford at Texas. What are you watching for? Oh, man. I mean, this is an absolute must win for Stanford. I mean, this is top eight seed for sure. Make or break for Stanford. If they don't get this win, there's no chance of a top eight, a top eight seed. And, you know, it was a hit hit and miss weekend for them. You know, they they luckily got the win over Vanderbilt in their third match at indoors, but ultimately didn't look didn't look that great. Struggle with the conditions at indoors. So this should be a much better condition suited for them. Look, if Stanford doesn't win this match, I mean, we're, they're going to be going on the road very early in the NCAAs. Yeah, uh, well said. And again, Stanford is Stanford the more experienced team like it's. Both these teams are a little hodgepodgey right now. Like, it's still not clear who goes where. Who? I mean, I guess the Stanford lineup, actually, there is a little bit more clarity in terms of wh- who fits in what slots in the lineup. But, like, neither of these teams have peaked yet. That was very clear at the national indoors. And, again, outdoors at Texas is probably conditioned Stanford prefers to the national indoors inside in Seattle. And so this is going to be a fascinating battle. Texas did get progressively better I thought in every match they played at the indoors and that's been the MO for these coach Joffe led teams over the course of the past two seasons it's a thriller absolutely a thriller uh again Stanford at Texas coming up this weekend and then I love your honorable mentions Arkansas at Oklahoma two frisky teams but let's talk about the big one that normally would be a headliner UCLA at USC it's almost a must win for both And it's February 21st, Jay. 
Yeah. And I mean, even like if USC gets the win, that's like, okay, <laughs> like that doesn't make a ton of inroads to being a top 16 seed right now. So, but yeah, they absolutely need to win it. This is their non-conference matchup between the two LA schools. Uh, it, on paper, USC should win this match, uh, but we'll have to see. It, it's definitely a must win for both of them to start riding the ship. Yeah, very well said. Well, folks, that's the week ahead. Can't get amped for that. I just don't know what to tell you. I promise we'll have a jam-packed episode of The Deciding Point next week. With all of that said, just one thing left to do on this show. We want to talk about both our Cracked Rackets top 10 rankings as well as the first edition of the ITA computer rankings, uh, both released, obviously, coming up here this week, of course. Uh, I do want to give a quick shout-out, though, to our dear friend Chris Halioris, who wants us to make clear over at collegetennisranks.com. He's got the live rankings up. He's got the what-if calculator rocking and rolling again. So if you want to hypothesize of what things might look like moving forward, go play around on collegetennisranks.com. All right, here's our Cracked Rackets top 10, Jay. Not a ton of movement uh, over the course of the past week. North Carolina 1, A&M 2, Georgia 3, Michigan 4, Ohio State 5. You then have Iowa State at the 6th spot, Texas at 7, NC State 8, Auburn 9, Duke 10. The only change was 7 and 8 flip-flopped over the course of the past week, Jay. Uh, any reaction to the current rankings? No, not much change. I still think it's a little disrespectful to Iowa State, but it is what it is. I agree with you. You have Iowa State at number four. I have Iowa State at number four. I'm just going to call him out. Chris is disrespecting Iowa State, and we'll have to bring him on the show at some point to call him out publicly. Um, yeah, look. Our rankings aren't the story this week. The computer rankings are the story this week. And Super Producer Daniel Westoff, you'll bring that graphic up now again. First edition of the computer rankings. What does that mean? Well, this early in the season, correct me if I'm wrong, Jay, but the computer rankings factor in a team's four best ranked wins. So again, who are the four best teams you beat? Where are they in the rankings? Obviously, you use the coaches rankings, I believe, as the original blueprint for how the computer is run as such listen to this north carolina one duh they're the national indoor champions ohio state two michigan three iowa state four and then maybe the most shocking of them all auburn right now at number five you also then have georgia six a&m seven texas eight nc state nine Duke at that number 10 spot. We mentioned it earlier, but of course, Wisconsin maybe uh, are particularly noticeably coming in at number 11 in the first edition of the ITA computer rankings. Again, I think that is remarkable for Coach McKenna and the Badger program, what they've been able to accomplish over the course of the past 15 months with this group. You want to look at, you know, again, some other notable ones. I suppose Tennessee at 12 feels significant. Vandy at 13. Oklahoma right now sitting at 18. Virginia at 20. Stanford at 22. Pepperdine right now sitting at the number 25 spot. I mean, again, First, Oklahoma State 49. That's yeah. that's just I mean, give them some time. Uh, again, it's the first edition of the computer rankings. Things will filter out over time. That said, Jay, just the floor is yours. Do what you got to do. <laughs> 
Well, before I do that, I will shout out a few other winners uh, on the ranking side. I talked about Old Dominion, highest program ranking in school history there. There were a few other teams who cracked into the top 25 uh, who were not in the coaches poll. That's Notre Dame uh, coming in at 17, Kansas at 21, and Miami at 23. And then you already talked about the big movers in Tennessee, Wisconsin, really, uh, and and UCF as well, coming in at 14. Those are the teams that were just on the outskirts of the coaches poll who have moved up um, fairly significantly. And then you already talked about the big, uh, big droppers. Look, <laughs> I will first say this. I understand how the rankings work. I know the formula. I can do the math. Just because you can explain it technically does not mean it is right. And the big caveat on all of this is that coaches know the ranking formula coming into the season. They know that this first iteration is only going to have four ranked wins that can be pretty volatile. If you really care about where you are ranked on February 21st, you should schedule for that, right? there, And there are a lot of programs who are celebrating historic program milestones because of these rankings. But, <laughs> I mean, what other sport do you have rankings where particularly like casual fans would just have no way of understanding how and why these rankings are where they are, right? And you just come off this national cha- alleged national championship, right? North Carolina wins. They beat Georgia in the final. And wow, they barely skated by a really tough Texas A&M team. Texas A&M drops from two to seven in the coaches poll. Ohio State goes into that tournament. They go one and two. They get crushed by Texas A&M. They lose to, you know, conference rival Michigan and they move up to number two. Like, technically, I understand how these rankings work. Logically, these rankings don't make any sense. And it's just chaos. And it reminds me a lot of the ATP or the WTA race rankings after like the first weekend in January of the first ATP or WTA tournament. And it's like Ben Shelton, number three in the world. Uh And that's more analogous to what these rankings are in February. They're more just a race to your top, you know, nine best wins before the NCAA selection show happens. Then they really are a articulation of who the best teams in the country are. And the last thing I'll say about this and why I get frustrated by this is I think it delegitimizes these rankings. And I think it makes it really hard for a casual fan to feel like these sort of things matter when there's just such volatility and such confusion. I really struggle to find another sport where you're sitting here being like, oh, yeah, don't worry about the rankings. Like they'll sort themselves out by May. Like, no, like football, basketball, like those rankings are all based off of who the best teams are, and these rankings are not. Can I ask you what your solution would be? I've offered a lot. I think yeah. the current, uh, I think the current ranking system, which is just a points ranking based on who you beat at that point in time, I think one is just not sophisticated enough. I think there are other rating systems. I mean, you look at Massey ratings. Massey ratings actually does do ratings for men's and women's college tennis. There are more sophisticated algorithms that could be used here. You look at something like uh won't, you know, we'll talk WTN. If we want to go to the WTN algorithm and say, hey, you're clearly coming up with the formula, right? To say, hey, 
who is going to win this match, right? How would you rank one player over another based on past results? Why can't we do something from a team perspective as well? I think there are a lot of options. I think one, maybe extending it, you know, to incorporate, you know, head to head, right? You just look at Ohio State, Michigan, like, does that get flipped? right? Because at least Michigan just beat Ohio State last weekend. So I think there are a lot of like rankings, updates, ratings, updates you could bring into this, a lot of other, you know, smart people that you could involve. Um, so I, I think there are a lot of solutions here. And honestly, there hasn't been changes in quite some time to the rankings formula. You have talked about them quite frequently on the No Ad, No Problem blog, podcast people, and we've talked about it in the past as well, but just wanted to re- enunciate what some solutions may be. Look, my brain's too broken right now to think math, to think formula, but there are always tweaks that can be made. I completely agree with you. It just feels like there should never be such an outlier of a poll. Like there's got to be a way to narrow that gap. And it's early in the season, of course, still. And so, of course, like I, I understand the need to adjust over time as the sample sizes get bigger, but like Texas a and not the seventh best team. They're, they're not. And we know that we all have eyes. We all saw that at the national indoors. And I get it. Like you want the rankings to be mathematic. You want it to be a quantitative system. Sometimes the numbers are wrong. Like some, they just are. And I guess that makes our job fun, but yeah, I agree. They're just, it feels like there are adjustments that can be made particularly early in the season uh, to reflect a more accurate ranking system. But yeah, with all that said, another week, of the Division One Women's College Tennis World in the books. Any final thoughts, Jay, before we wrap what has been an under in our show here today? No, I'm looking forward to this weekend. A lot of action. Sounds like you guys will have some broadcast coverage. So yes. uh, we'll look out for the social media uh, updates yes. on that. Exactly. I'm looking forward to know what I'll be able to watch on those streams because there's a lot I want to tune into. A lot of those matches and a lot of the matches we haven't talked about uh, you know, everyone gets a little breather from indoors and then we really hit hit the ground running. Absolutely. I know we have the Ohio State men's match. We have the Baylor men's match on Saturday. Sunday is our first Big Ten broadcast. And according to Super Producer Daniel Westhoff, we'll have our schedule out to everyone tomorrow. What matches we will be showing on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel this Sunday. So, yes, we're ready to get rock and rolling. We're going to have matches Thursday through Sunday every weekend for the remainder of the season. So, folks, if you like college tennis, Crack Rackets will continue to be the place for you, of course. With all of that in mind, that'll do it. For this week's episode of The Deciding Point, a shout out, as always, to our sponsors at LS at Swing Vision for their continued support. To learn more about each of them, just click on the links in the description to this podcast. Of course, a shout out, as always, to super producer Daniel Westoff. Seriously, the best in the business. I always tell him whenever he's feeling overwhelmed, just remember he's in the midst of a ITA Hall of Fame career. For moving the sport the way he has and so hopefully that picks up his spirits shout out to him the best in the business and then as always a shout out to you john j parsons my partner in crime without whom i could not do this show each and every week with all of that said for the fantastic john j parsons our super producer daniel westoff our friends at ls and swing vision and from all of us here at both crack rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin jay what do we tell our listeners Hey, great shot. And we will see you all tomorrow night. Thanks, everyone.